Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to hear from God's Word now, so if you've got a Bible there, please flick it open to Matthew, or it'll be on the screen behind me if you want to follow it on there. It's Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 1. Ryan's going to be uh, speaking to us about a few stories. This is just one of the stories, but it's sort of a few ideas come together in, in these verses. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought him, a paralysed man, lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Take heart, your son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But I, want you to, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. They praised God who had given such authority to man. Morning, everyone. I'm Ryan, if we haven't met before, and we're going to jump into this passage together. But before we do that, I'm going to pray for us, so pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we slow down now to the busyness of a, of a week gone by and anticipating one to come. And Father, the things left undone, the things to do, can be overwhelming. And Father, so we pray that you would help us to not bury these feelings and thoughts, but to bring them before you this morning and let you speak into them, into our hearts. And we pray that we would, as we've prayed before, Father, be changed by who you are in your Son, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever written a story where you wrote yourself into uh, wrote yourself in as a character? Have you ever written a story where you became one of the characters in the story? For me, uh, I have written a story where I was one of the characters. It was when I was in primary school, and we must have had be doing some kind of creative writing stuff. It was a lot of fun. I remember it's one of the highlights of my primary school years is doing this. Uh, my mum's even kept it. It's a bit embarrassing, but it's still around, I think. But <coughs> it was a story uh, set in a war-torn world uh, where my dad was a prisoner of war. And so I wrote myself in the story to rescue my dad and then we would both go on to bring peace to uh, this war-torn world. Now, as stories go, where the author becomes one of the characters, my story, I'm sure, is not very well known. Um, my mum knows, um, but that doesn't necessarily make me famous. But there is 
many famous authors who have written themselves into their stories and one in particular is by this lady called Dorothy Sayers. <coughs> Dorothy is a very creative and brave woman because she was the, one of the first women to actually graduate from Oxford University. And inspired by her studies there in uh, language and literature, she wrote these detective novels centred around this character called Lord Peter Whimsey. He was a detective in solving crimes. But the thing about Lord Peter was that he was a very troubled and lonely and broken man. And as the story progressed, as there was no hope for him, Dorothy was moved. And suddenly, entering into the story, about halfway through this series, appears this woman called Harriet Vane. And she is a lady who studied at Oxford. And she writes detective novels and she comes alongside Peter, helps him solve these crimes and in the end they fall in love and they get married. Harriet rescues Peter. But doesn't Harriet sound very much like the author herself? A woman studied at Oxford, writer of det uh, detective fiction. Ha as, as Dorothy saw and looked into the world that she created, looked into the world of Lord Peter, she was moved by Peter's position, his state, his hopelessness, his helplessness. And she wrote herself in to the story to rescue him the author inside the story because the author has the power over the story the author has the ability to change the story the author has the the authority over the characters in the story because the author knows them because the author created them the author knows what the characters need and so, as examples go of authors writing themselves into their stories, Dorothy Sayers is a famous one, unlike my story. But what if there was another story where the author wrote himself into the story? What if God wrote himself into the story of history? What would it look like if God wrote himself into the story of humanity? Well, as we pick up this story in Matthew, as Matthew continues to tell us the, the story of Jesus, we're going to find out what that looks like. Because as we notice, as we enter into this story, we see Jesus. In chapter 8, verse 23 and 27, here's Jesus and his disciples. They're in a boat. They're on their way across the Sea of Galilee, and a furious storm hits the lake. And in the middle of this storm-tossed boat, here's Jesus asleep as the waves are crashing and um, sweeping over the boat. And these, these freaked-out disciples of Jesus wake him up and cry out, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. One thing we know about Jesus' disciples is that they, they had a reputation of being professional fishermen. It's one thing we know about them. These men grew up living by the sea. They would have fished and worked and grew up around you know, the sea and what it was like to be in the midst of the storm, what it was like to be on the water when, a, when the winds picked up and the waves picked up. In some sense, these guys would have known how to handle themselves on the water and in a boat. 
you know, if there was any place for these men that was probably comfortable for them, where they felt a sense of peace and confidence, this was the place. It was their livelihood. They were professionals. But in this situation they find themselves in, this reputation gives them no ability, no authority, no power to put creation back in its place and restore the peace. But cutting through the roar and of this overwhelming situation with the wind and the waves, a voice is heard, you of little faith, Jesus replies and asks, why are you so afraid? It's the last thing you would expect to hear. But this powerful force of nature is overwhelmed by this one man's voice. Standing up, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and there is complete calm. Jesus rebukes the storm. The word literally means he gave it a talking to. So with a stern word, Jesus puts creation back in its place. And the response of Jesus' disciples is pretty fair. What kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. It's a true story. What also is true is that we know that you know, we don't see the everyday average person walking around telling a storm and giving it a talking to and it listens. Pretty sure none of us would have walked outside in the last couple of days and said, be still, <laughs> and it listened. <coughs> And so we too are faced with this question that faces the disciples. What kind of man is this? But unlike us, you see, these disciples were their Jewish fishermen, their Jewish men, and they were part of God's Old Testament people. So they would have been familiar with who God was and who God is. And they should know that throughout the Bible, God and his people have used this metaphor of a storm-tossed sea as a picture of what it means to be in times of trouble when they need rescuing and saving. Oh, my afflicted ones, storm-tossed and not confident, God says of his people in Isaiah 54. Listen to what Isaiah 50, um, uh, 43 says. The Lord who created you, who formed you, says, Do not fear, I will be with you when you pass through the rivers. They will not sweep over you. And then in the Psalms we read, you know, God, our Saviour, who steals the roar of the sea, the roaring of the sea, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. And again, in Psalm um, 107, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. So, who is Jesus looking and sounding like here? Who is this man? Well, he's the author. And as the author, Jesus has authority over his creation. And so although the main thrust of these verses, at least, is revealing Jesus' authority and power over the physical creation, there is another side of creation that in verses 28 to 34 and the rest of chapter 8 uh, that we are confronted with. We're confronted also with this other side of creation. Pick up the story with me in verse 28. So arriving on the other side of the sea, Jesus and his disciples meet, uh, are met with this, this unseen spiritual reality of creation where darkness, wickedness, 
devilishness lurks. And as these demon-possessed men come from the tombs to meet them, these men, we're told, are violent and no one could pass through that way. This other side of creation is the spiritual, non-physical, unseen world lurking here are the sinister and dark and evil forces and powers where Satan operates with the power to possess, to oppress and overpower, a power and force that goes well beyond what we've seen in nature. But as the forces of uh, these powerful forces of spiritual darkness are confronted with Jesus, what do we see? It's Jesus that they don't want to mess with. They shout, what do you want with us, son of God? Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? And they beg Jesus to send them into the pigs. And what does Jesus say? On your way. Go. One word. Go. And so coming out and going into the pigs, the whole herd rushes down the steep bank and into the lake and dies. Seeing all this that those tending the pigs, they run into town and the whole town comes out uh, to see and meet Jesus. But meeting him, seeing him, they plead with him to leave. And so like the storm-tossed sea, with a word, Jesus casts out these demons. These powers of spiritual darkness and evil flee before the overwhelming and, and are overpowered by the presence of Jesus. Unlike Though the evil intentions of these forces of spiritual darkness, you know, that's we see is ultimately revealed in what happens to these pigs. Their intentions are to destroy these men, to destroy their lives, however slowly that might be. But Jesus' intentions is to bring peace and restoration to these men's lives. And so what we get is in chapter eight, twenty-three to twenty-four. Um, sorry, 23 to 34, and this, this section of chapter 8 is these two stories intentionally put together that show us who Jesus is. And so as we face Jesus' power, again we are forced to afresh face the question, who is this guy? What kind of man is this? And we see that in Jesus, the author's personal and powerful presence has come to provide the promise of peace by putting everything back in its order. And when we are afflicted, you know, storm-tossed, uncomfortable because of the external threats around us, because of Jesus and belonging to him, we can be soothed and calmed and comforted to know that with him, belonging to the author who has all authority and power to flip the script and bring peace and restoration where there is chaos and darkness. But we know, though, our external world is only one part of our experience of life, only one aspect of our life. What about our personal brokenness? What about the state of the unseen world of our heart? Because in chapter 8, it forces us to see the unseen and seen world around us. Chapter 9, in the opening verses, Jesus actually forces us to see the, to face the seen and unseen world of our personal life. 
pick up the story with me in chapter one, um, cha- uh, chapter nine, verse one. Sorry, Jesus stepping back into the boat. They go back over the other side of the sea, and getting there, someone brings to them. Uh, these men bring a paralyzed man laying on a mat. Now, here is this paralyzed man coming to this obviously physically broken man. What are we expecting Jesus to say and do here? We're, we're anticipating Jesus as healing this man's physical condition. After all, we've just seen how Jesus has authority over the physical world. He has power over the physical world, over, over nature. So what does Jesus do? Seeing their faith, says to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Not exactly what you would expect. It's not what we would expect from the flow of the story, or is it? Because this is classic Jesus. As the author, he knows the deep needs of his creation. While Jesus never dismisses the the presenting issues, Jesus' focus and concern is on the, the deeper issues. Just like we saw with the disciples in the midst of the storm, what did Jesus do first? What was his first response? Jesus spoke to their fear and faith. And then he addressed the wind and the waves. And we see the same here. Jesus isn't blind to this man's physical condition, but Jesus sees the unseen reality of this man's life, the reality of this man's sin. Jesus reveals that this man's sin problem means that his relationship with God, his author, is broken but also the way that this man thinks, feels, speaks and acts is just as broken as his body. And the road to to relational peace and healing is forgiveness. The way to, to relational change is forgiveness. But hearing this, the crowds are shocked. They're, they're shocked. He's blaspheming, they said. Because as Jews, like we've saw before, they would be familiar again with who God is. They would have been familiar with verses like this from Isaiah 43 again. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. And then Daniel, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. And so how can Jesus say this if it's very clear that only God can forgive sin? We know this. We know how forgiveness works. There's no point. There's no, we have no authority, no power to forgive someone's sins or to extend forgiveness to someone who hasn't offended us, who hasn't hurt us. If you have a problem with somebody else or somebody else has a problem with you, me saying I forgive you <laughs> means nothing. It doesn't resolve anything. So how can Jesus say this? Well, just like Jesus confirmed who he was as the author by calming the storm and casting out demons, Jesus too confirms his, his right, his authority and power to forgive sins, to bring peace to relate people's relationship with God by healing this man's physical condition. He says, which is easier? He puts it to us. Which is easier? To, uh, uh, Jesus asks and, and says, to say that your, your sins are forgiven... It's a pretty easy thing to say. We know it's easy to say, I'm sorry. Words are easy to say. 
or to say, get up and walk. I want you to know, Jesus says, that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the man, get up, take your mat and go home. Now, our words do stuff. There's that saying, pick up your bat and ball and get on your way. Like, you know, if you're playing cricket, someone's like, go on, mate, get, you're out. And they will do that. (laughs) But none of us can have the power and authority with our words to say to someone who's never walked a day in their life, get up and walk and go home. Yes, our words have power, but not power like this. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and he proves it. And so, like we saw with Dorothy, Dorothy Sayers in her detective novels, the character Harriet, you know, walking and talking like she's Dorothy Sayers herself. Like Dorothy looking into the world that she made, seeing how the pain and the struggle and the brokenness of Lord Peter Wimsey just feels her heart with pain and moves her to enter into the story, to, to write herself in. The author inside the story is Jesus walking around and talking like he owns the place. And not only does Jesus have the power to bring peace and restoration to the unseen and seen world around us, but we see here that Jesus, as the personal and powerful presence of the author, he has come to provide that promised peace by putting things right in our hearts and with our relationship with God. It's a shocking thing to, to, to come to terms with the, an author writing themselves into, into a story, to, like, to humble themselves like that. But this isn't the most shocking and scandalous thing the author does. This isn't the most shocking and scandalous thing Jesus does. The author in Jesus is caught dead on a cross, He dies in his own story so that he could take the consequences for sin. Jesus, in his death, he takes on the chaos, the darkness, the brokenness himself so that it might be taken from us. Even death itself cannot overcome Jesus. And so at the beginning, we we ask the question, what would it look like if God wrote himself into the story? We get a window into what it's like for us by looking at and taking some observations from the different people that encountered Jesus. And so as we finish, I've just got three observations for us, three things to notice. There are those people, or there's those of us who who do trust in Jesus. But when we are faced with the chaos, the brokenness, the darkness of the outside world around us, but also that which is within us, it scares us. It's scary to face who we really are and, who the, and what the world is really like. But what we see is that Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us and so is his authority and power over everything. And so with Jesus, we're safe even though we might be in unsafe territory. With Jesus, we are safe from what we see and don't see in the world around us, but we're also safe from what we see and also don't see in the world within us, in our hearts. (laughs) 
But what sometimes, even though Jesus is with us, why is it that sometimes this powerful experience of, of safety and peace that Jesus offers seems absent in our life? Jesus has already shown us that it's not because he's unwilling on his part. It could be because that where Jesus wants to go in our lives is threatening and scary and uncomfortable, too real, too exposing. Because Jesus' focus is on the heart rather than our circumstances. Remember, it's fear and faith of the disciples that is Jesus' primary concern. Jesus' primary concern wasn't the pigs. It wasn't the property of people, but the spiritual reality of these two men. In, a physical, in the man's physical condition, wasn't Jesus' primary concern, but his sin was. We can be easily and often uh, like bent out of alignment with what Jesus is wanting to do in our lives. We are far too, or our primary concern is, is often the, the storms of life, the protection of our possessions, physical comforts. But Jesus wants us to notice that our present everyday assorted troubles in our past and present, even the ones in the future to come, you know, are to, to reveal what's actually in our hearts. Jesus' questions draw attention to this. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? You of little faith, why are you so sad? You of little faith, why are you so angry? You of little faith, why are you so ashamed? But Jesus' question also brings him into that space, into the picture when he says, Oh, you of little faith. And so the depths of so the depths to which we allow Jesus to access under the surface of our lives, into the thoughts, feelings, behaviors of our heart, will be the depth to which we experience the peace and restoration that Jesus offers. the depth to which we allow Jesus access into our hearts, that, that place of the unseen thoughts, feelings and behaviours going on under the surface, which will flow out in there. Only when we allow access to Jesus in there will we experience the depth to which Jesus offers us this, this peace and restoration. The second thing that we notice is that we meet a kind of people who they are persevering and determined uh, to reach Jesus because although they don't know a whole lot about him, they know that he can do something for them. Like bringing their mate who has been paralyzed on a bed, they bring him to Jesus. And, and you might not be sure where you stand with Jesus. You might not even be sure what it would mean for you if you were to meet Jesus. But know that Jesus is moved by people's faith. He's moved towards us, not away from us. He's moved towards people by their faith. And it's, it's always a very scary thing, being vulnerable, um, exploring our neediness, and particularly even asking for help. And we see that Jesus will never reject us. He's not afraid 
of our vulnerability. He's not afraid of our neediness. In fact, it's, it's our holding back, it's our pretending that keeps him at a distance because we're pushing him away. We miss out on the experience of peace and restoration because we're not willing to allow Jesus in. And like we see in the stories, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't force us. He's an invitation. He wouldn't be safe otherwise. And even if we're not sure what it would mean for us to meet Jesus, we can know that he, as our author, knows our deepest needs and he also has the power to meet them. And we see that regardless of how little faith the disciples have, it doesn't matter. Regardless of the strength of their trust in him, Jesus will respond to their needs. And here's the final thought. Because Jesus is the author, how he thinks, feels and speaks and acts towards us has the power and authority in our life. We know that we are impacted by what people say to us. People's words impact us. How people treat us impact us. They shape how we view ourselves and how we choose to live, for better or for worse. But Jesus says to us that how Jesus treats us and what he says is really what's true of who we are because Jesus is the author and he has the right. As we sung, I am who you say I am. And so just as Jesus' words overpower the sea, overwhelm the spiritual world, um, overcome sin, so does Jesus' words and actions overwhelm, overpower, overcome the impact of all other people's influence on you in your life. If Jesus says you are forgiven, you are forgiven. If Jesus says that he is with you, he will never leave you. If Jesus has died for you, he loves you. If Jesus has written himself into the story, he's come for you. Jesus is the only one in our life who has the right to define us because he is the author. He's the author. And so our God has looked into our world, has looked into our life, and he's seen the chaos. He sees the darkness, he sees the brokenness, he sees the evil. And it doesn't turn him away, but turns him towards us. His heart is filled with love and pain for us. And so seeing our pain and seeing our struggle, he wrote himself in. Jesus Christ, bringing that promised peace by putting things right in our world and in our hearts too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, overwhelm and overpower and overcome the remaining presence of sin and darkness in our lives. Let your peace rule in your hearts. Give us the grace to invite you into the deep, dark and broken parts of our hearts. That we might know that peace you speak about, that peace that surpasses and transcends our circumstances because it's a peace that abides deeply in our hearts. Oh Lord, overwhelm and overpower and overcome the remaining presence of sin and darkness in our world. As your son taught us to pray, we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.